Hi, everybody. This is Latrice Ferguson. I'm here with my esteemed colleague, Travis Wall. You want to say hi, Travis? Hi. Hi. Thank you. It's good to see you yeah. again. saw you an hour ago. But. <laughs> right. We see each other all day. Yeah. Anyway, this is another episode of Interruptions. And if you've listened to any of our other podcasts, you know that we believe that the magic happens in an interruption. And it is our job as the Workplace Learning Professional Development Team to provide tools for folks to have at hand when that interruption happens. So today I am talking to my colleague, Travis. And Travis, I wanted to talk to you about this whole idea of um, ethics in the workplace, right? So some time ago, you came to me and you were talking about um, your interest in this. And so my first question to you is sort of, when you think about ethics, to me, it seems like this big, lofty, like, rule-following kind of topic. But what, what made you interested in it, intrigued enough to think about it in a way to create a class around it? That's a good question. I was I didn't get these questions in advance. Uh, this is no all off the cuff. Caveats. Yeah, no, no, it's good because you want to hear the live, the live. So, so uh, no, I think that's a really good question. I've always really been interested in ethics. I remember when I was like in high school, mm -hmm. I used to think I don't know, maybe everybody thinks about it like this, but I had this sense of I knew I was kind of young, okay. and that I had like life ahead of me, and I had this sense that I should choose kind of what kind of life I wanted to lead. Okay. And for me, it was always the big, big thing that I was always thinking is to what extent should you just sort of be happy with what life gives you hmm. versus trying to make your life what you want it to be. Okay. So kind of either more passive or active, more subjective or objective. Interesting. So how does that play into ethics though? Well, I think when I went to, uh, I went to Ohio State University and okay. I was going to study English. Go Bucks. Yeah, go Bucks. Mm -hmm. Go Bucks, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I did. I stuck with English, but I, I took an intro to philosophy class and the professor uh. framed ethics in really similar terms to things that I'd always been really interested in. So how did he frame it? Well, it's, you know, it's, uh, I think I've heard ethics described as the study of, of what it means to live a good life. Oh, so ethics, the study of what it means to live a good life. That's interesting because to me, when I hear ethics in my context without having ever taken the philosophy class like that, um, to me, it's like what I shouldn't and what I shouldn't do. But yeah. not based on my moral compass. Oftentimes, based on something somebody else has, a policy or something somebody else has put in place. Yeah. That's how we talk about ethics in the workplace all the time. Mm. We talk about ethics and policies like they're synonymous. Mm -hmm. And there's some overlap. Mm -hmm. But I think they're very different. Mm. And that's definitely the way the fourth quarter corners is designed. I mean, we take all the policies as a given. We don't spend a minute in class talking about what you can or can't buy on a P card mm -hmm. or falsifying timesheets. And mm -hmm. there's policies about that. And most of it's common sense anyway. So we want to focus the class more on um, Assuming we all want to do the right thing, which I, I think everybody wants to be ethical. Well, what makes you think that? Um, well, there's some cool evidence for it. Oh, really? Yeah. So I read about this study the other day. I can't tell you the name of it off the top of my head, but they um, they, they, they had children, really okay. young children, 18-month-old uh -huh. children, playing with a really cool toy in okay. the corner of a room. And it made bells and whistles really, really exciting. And you try to pull the kid away from the toy, but as you can imagine, the kids don't want to put the toy down. They like the toy. Mm-hmm. So they tried all these different interventions to try to get the toy, the, you know, they reward the kids for quitting and things. The only thing that consistently worked was if there was a, a person in the room who didn't know the child but pretended to be working on something else. Okay. If the person pretended to need help, so what they would do is they would drop a pen. Okay. And the pen would be on the other side of the table just out of their reach. Uh-huh. Every single time, the child would quit playing, come over, grab the pen, hand the pen to the person that needed help. So they, they think it's evidence that we're we're kind of pre-programmed to want to help, to want to, I would say more broadly, to want to do good. 
Interesting. So basically that study is if I dropped a pen in front of an 18 month old, they mm. would go pick it up and try to get it back. To they me. will definitely want to help you. Yeah. Mm. Things you do can disincentivize that behavior over time. Ah, mm. Like what? Uh, if they start to feel like it's a game, like uh, you're sort of like, maybe if you're paying too much attention to the rewards and the mm-hmm, punishments, mm-hmm. then naturally they'll want to start to test the limits of the game. Interesting. Cause it's not about doing good anymore. It's about like gaming the system. Right. And so that makes me wonder in the workplace, we might be doing things a little bit wrong <laughs> yeah. in some way. I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah. We talked about a potential new class that we might, and then my big inspiration for that is a book called Prime to Perform. Okay. But it says exactly what you just said, that the, there's basically, there's, there's like maybe six or seven ways to motivate people. Mm-hmm. And in general, they fall into these two categories of either appealing to their intrinsic motivation okay. to have, lead a good, satisfying life. Or extrinsic motivations like I'm going to fire you or I'm going to give you a raise. Mm -hmm. Um, And we rely mostly on extrinsic motivations Mm -hmm. like policies. And and really you get much, much better performance out of people if you can find ways to tap into their intrinsic motivations. Interesting. Very interesting. That's fascinating. So my next question says, what's the most insightful thing you've learned while studying Mm. this sort of topic? Mm. But I feel like we already gave them some insightful nuggets. (laughs) It just comes. When you, Latrice has these questions. They're like little lobs of the net. You can spike them home. No. Uh, no, I, I think it's one of those fields that uh, it's really rewarding to study because mm. there's there's just everything. Sometimes you read things that contradict previous things, okay. which is frustrating. Mm-hmm. But um, have you ever heard of the backfire effect? Mm-hmm. We mention it sometimes in the class, and it's this idea that um, – it's kind of it's scary. It's basically if, if somebody has an existing belief. Okay. Let's say you're a big Trump supporter. Oh, yeah. let's try another one. Hypothetical. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Let's say yeah. I am. I hold what kind of belief? Any kind of belief. I believe that women should be at every seat at every table in order for decisions to be made well. Okay. <laughs> Is that too specific? No. <laughs> It's just going to be hard for me to demonstrate the back. Okay. All right. Go with what you, go with your first example. But can you just pick something? Politics is tricky. But yes. like, let's forget current politics. Okay. Like any politician. Okay. Let's say you like a politician. Alexander Hamilton. Alexander Hamilton. Let's yes. say you like Alexander Hamilton. Okay. I've heard the musical is very good. It's awesome. It's very good. Right. So if you came to me uh-huh. and said, I love Alexander Hamilton. Okay. He's the best. Uh-huh. And I'm a historian. Uh-huh. And I tell you, actually, you know, that musical is a little bit of an oversimplified view of who he was. Mm-hmm. And you say, what do you mean? And I could give you evidence. I could give you. 10 pieces of evidence that he wasn't a very good guy Mm -hmm. you'd like to think that some people would change their opinion on alexander hamilton Mm -hmm. backfire effects seem to show that not only do people not change their opinion they actually leave the conversation more committed to their initial opinion than they were before interesting does that have something to do with who's saying it do you think trust is a component but i think what the main thing is and this part is, is still true i think people don't so the cognitive dissonance is what they call it. We don't like to have two ideas in our mind at the same time. So you can't simultaneously like Alexander Hamilton and not like Alexander Hamilton. Um, Even though maybe, in my humble opinion, the real world, we should probably be doing that a lot more often. Like, we, I feel like that's... So wait, the theory says that you can't do that? You can't. You can't hold two diametrically opposing views in your head at the same time. So that leads me... I mean, I know we're moving... We shouldn't be like the whole political thing, but... Mm-hmm. I'm always frustrated when people say that I can't. I think that I can. Like, yeah. I can believe that Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter at the same time. Yes, that's true. That's true. I would say that in that case, it's not 
they're not they're not directly opposed to each other. Oh, so it needs to be like directly opposed. Okay. Yeah, there's okay. a middle ground on that case where you can say surely we can get better about racial profiling and policing, but also say that some police are good people. There's a, there's a middle ground there. Mm-hmm. But the, the reason I know we don't want to come back to Donald Trump, any political figure today, you probably either like them or hate them. That's so interesting because I feel like I. You're ambivalent to some of them. I'm not. And oh, you can't. I can like them, but mm-hmm. not necessarily agree with everything. So that's different than liking and hating. Yeah. Although I'd say today in our current political climate, those lines get blurred a lot. There's a lot of liking and hating going on, not just agreeing and disagreeing. Mm. I don't know. That's interesting. Well, that's why I think this class is fascinating, right? Um, I feel like um, as I sat in the class and sort of watched you bring that class to life, one of the things that was very interesting to me is the way that you took philosophy and sort of theory, Mm -hmm. things that a person like me in some ways might find a little snoozy or boring. <laughs> it can be boring. Yeah. But no, yeah. no, no, no. But yeah. you made it such a way that it's engaging and interesting and it pushes your thinking about certain things, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I appreciate it. You know, and the, the, the tricky thing, that backfire effect that I mentioned, actually, the, the strange thing is you're probably onto something, your intuitions, because more recent studies haven't been able to confirm it. Mm. So it was like universally accepted. We mentioned it in class. Lots of great people have mentioned it in books and things. More recent studies show that uh, it doesn't. It's not as strong as you think. People people are willing to change. They're not usually willing to change their um, most fundamental beliefs, mm-hmm. but they're willing to change the way they perceive certain facts. Got you. Mm-hmm. All right. So, what would make a person want to come and take this class? Uh, well, I think anybody who's ever noticed that um, decisions can be difficult. Mm. Uh, anybody who's ever struggled, like they, they know what they want to do is, is the right thing. Mm-hmm. And the longer they think about it, the more confused they are about what the right thing is. Mm-hmm. Which is not, not true for everybody. Some mm-hmm. people only make instinctive choices, mm-hmm. and they're not really interested in thinking about those choices. Mm-hmm. But I think um, one of the books we reference a lot in the class is called Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the basic idea is that there's the brain makes choices in two basic ways, either reactionary, instinctive, mm-hmm. or slow and methodical. Mm-hmm. And in the, the author's opinion, most decisions happen in that instinctive phase. Gotcha. Which is good, because it would probably be, it wouldn't be efficient to make every choice like it was the first time we were encountering Right. It. But at some point, our instincts, whether it's bias or, or something else, can lead us astray if we're mm-hmm. not willing to question them. Right. Yeah, I agree. I think the interesting thing, too, is this idea of we all are making lots and lots of decisions on a day-to-day basis, right? And so particularly if you're leading people, um, and what is the sub, do you remember the subtitle of the class is like how to defend and something? Yeah, how to make and defend ethical decisions. Mm-hmm. So the part about making decisions is very interesting to for me to explore like what is it that's causing my brain to make decisions the way that they are made but then the counterpart is now that I've settled on my decision sometimes I might be put in a situation where I have to defend it absolutely that's that's the biggest part of so the class in my opinion hopefully people can make better decisions Mm -hmm. by making them more deliberately Mm -hmm. we we also talk about like avoiding common blind spots Mm -hmm. like confirmation bias we already discussed Mm -hmm. but there's a really there's a big diversity and inclusion piece Mm -hmm. or just a civility piece Mm -hmm. because we're going to disagree sometimes Mm -hmm. And we still have to work together. Mm-hmm. So if we have a shared vocabulary about what we're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. and that's the four ethical corners, our intention. Don't in- give it all. Oh, okay. Sorry. sorry. They're going to come to the <laughs> But intention, you heard one of them. Uh-huh. That's right. That's right. <laughs> 
basically tries to describe when we say something is good or bad mm-hmm. or we feel good about it or bad about it, mm-hmm. breaking that down to four core elements. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everybody agrees we do the test in class all the time. Everybody instinctively says, oh, yeah, those are the four. Mm-hmm. If we can start doing it deliberately instead of instinctively, mm-hmm. then we can have better conversations. We can say, actually, we can see we're trying to serve the same intention, mm-hmm. but we're really disagreeing about the way we're estimating impact, for mm-hmm. example. Okay. Yeah. Or we have a completely different intention, which... We're spending all this time arguing about the, the process, uh-huh. but it turns out we're not even trying to achieve the same things thing at all. We right. need to know that early on. You mm-hmm. know? The sooner you know that, the better off you are, right? Yeah, and I can understand you because at least I say, okay, I thought she was just lazy, but now I see that actually she just is trying to achieve something completely different. Mm-hmm. And I see the value in that. Now we can work better together. All right. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Have you had to make a big decision lately? Lately? Um... We had a, actually, uh, funny, we joked about using the fourth corners, and we, we didn't in the end. It's not, in hindsight, it's not a big decision, but we had a baby. Oh, okay. We had a baby. Nice. We had a baby. Right. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't feeding as well as they hoped he would be feeding. Mm-hmm. He was doing fine, but he wasn't putting on weight. Fast mm-hmm. And we had a doctor that recommended that we do a, a tongue-tie procedure, mm. they call it, snip the tongue. Okay. But it was really tricky because they, they left it all kind of vague. They said, like, it might help. Some people see that it helps. It's not guaranteed to help. Mm. It probably won't hurt the baby, but sometimes it hurts the baby. Oh, gosh. Right. <laughs> so it's a really difficult decision. Right. Is it going to hurt my baby or not? Right. I know. Right, right, <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, I think um, I didn't use the fourth corners in the end to make the decision, mm-hmm. but uh, we did talk about blind spots, my wife and I, mm. and we realized that I'm more loss averse than she is. Mm. So my wife really heard the positives and knew that the losses were, there was a small chance of the losses. So she was kind of more in favor of it. Mm-hmm. I was really hesitant to do anything mm-hmm. because I, to me, the losses loom so large. Like even if there's a, a 90% chance it'll help them and only a 10% chance it will hurt them, I was really dwelling on the 10%. Mm. Uh, so it was good for me to think about it that way and realize that actually, if I look at everything that people told us, we should probably do it. I mean, we did do it mm-hmm. and it did seem to help. Oh, look at that. It did seem to help. Nice. But we had, obviously in that case, we all, we had the same intention. We wanted the baby to be as healthy as possible. Right. So we just had to think about how we were thinking about the impact and mm-hmm. what was most likely to happen. Yeah. The intentions are, I think it's, it's paramount. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was reminding me, I guess, to be quick to listen, quick to listen, slow mm-hmm. to respond, basically. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And so going through my mind like understanding that everybody thinks their intentions are good mm-hmm. even mm-hmm. if we have a different like outcome that we but when you're talking to me you believe that your intentions are good yeah yeah when i'm talking to you i believe that my intentions are good yeah but sometimes they're in conflict yeah and so what do we do with that and how does that show up in the workplace and oftentimes causes unsettled conflict mm-hmm. um, and then it grows into this bigger bigger problem Yep. So as, I think, savvy leaders, understanding sort of a, a model, which you cover so eloquently in Four Ethical Corners to help you, guide you in making those decisions, uncovering those four quadrants, and then giving you the skills to defend them can be very useful. I hope so. I hope so. And I like the way you framed it. I think like we, we even if you sort of are skeptical about this idea that everybody's ethical, mm-hmm. I think you'll have a healthier and more productive life if you assume good intent for yep. others. Absolutely. But even if you're assuming good intent, there's still plenty of room to disagree. Right. And, and be okay with the intent might be different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that just means we're solving two different things. Mm-hmm. And we need to know that 
up front, like you just said. So I think Four Ethical Corners is a great session. Is it an all-day session or? It's an all-day session. Yeah, the the morning is pretty dense, actually. I mean, we cover Mm -hmm. a lot of philosophy and social psychology. Um, It's fun. It's fun. We we try to keep it lively. But then the afternoon is all applied. Oh, nice. So So you're kind of in like a simulation type Deal. Yep. Okay. First thing we do is some some stories ripped from today's headlines, mm-hmm. difficult situations that a real manager at Georgia Tech might be in. How would you handle it? Mm-hmm. And then the last hour and a half is a real complex uh, simulation. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Anything else you would want to tell people about Four Ethical Corners that would just somebody who's listening to the podcast that is thinking, oh, that sounds interesting, but I don't really have a full day to to dedicate to this stuff. Mm -hmm. Is there any like selling picture you think? I would say that it's it's not um, it's not only about ethics. Mm. I don't. What I'm saying is, it sound it might sound like kind of a. lovey-dovey or almost a hippie thing to do like spend mm-hmm. a whole day talking about how to be nice to each other mm-hmm. might sound sort of fluffy but we all think about ethics every day mm-hmm. uh, people leave jobs because they don't feel like they're ethical mm-hmm. jobs um, they leave managers because they don't feel like they feel like they're being asked to do unethical things mm-hmm. so you can't separate anything from ethics you can't be a good manager without ethics um, you might be surprised to discover as a manager like you might not think ethics is your problem mm-hmm. but if you dig into relationship issues on your team, it might be that people perceive you as unethical, mm. even if you are ethical. Yeah. So I think spending a, a one day at a small price <laughs> to think about something that impacts us every day, yeah. the cognitive blind spots alone, I mean, if you know where you're likely to make mistakes, mm-hmm. it's so easy to steer against that yeah. and, and land in the right place. But if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah. And like your example, I mean, you use a personal example, so not only does it help you in the workplace, but these skills are transferable through your personal life as well as you make decisions. Yeah. yeah. We, we give a calculator at the end of class so that people can actually use the Ethical Corners decision-making framework. And I've had several people email after the class say they've used it. Yes. And most of the time, actually, they're outside of work. You know? <laughs> yep. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we like to just say thank you for taking the time to listen. You have officially been interrupted. interrupted. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Travis. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Wait, can I ask you a bonus question? Actually, sure. Are you on the spot now? Oh, Lord. I know you have a young daughter who's amazing. I do. Yeah. She is. We ask people the opening question in the classes mm-hmm. if you could impart one ethical value on your child, a sentence or a word, what would you like her to be more than anything else? What do you think a good life is? Oh, my God. Travis. You glad I stumped you at the end there? I'm glad. (laughs) What is one thing? Mm -hmm. Jeez. I mean, you can use a comma if you want to. I think, what does Jeffrey's name mean? Uh, Lion. Well, Jeffrey means peaceful, and his middle name means lion. There's something about that that resonates with me so much. Mm -hmm. So, meaning I want her to be um, compassionate, Mm -hmm. but I don't want her to be wimpy. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. So, I want her to be strong in her opinions, strong in her values, but quick to listen and understand. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I think that's what it is. Yeah, that's beautiful. It's not one word, but... No, that's beautiful. Okay. And you're describing like a, a balanced life. Yeah, that's... Yes, absolutely. And it might sound like common sense, but other people might not say a balance. Like, it, it, that's something to strive for that mm-hmm. not everybody sees the value of being balanced. I strive every day. Sometimes <laughs> my... I'm a Libra, too, so my skill be like... I'm supposed to be balanced with my skill. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you guys so much yeah. for listening. If, if you kept listening, you got a bonus. A bonus. Oh, well, interruptions. Thank you. See you guys next time. See you later. Bye.